Hey guys, Bill here. Welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to quickly remind you of another ESPN podcast. It's the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny. With the NFL offseason in full swing, there's plenty to talk about when it comes to the National Football League. And you can not only listen to that with the excellent Mina Kimes, but also her dog, Lenny, who has a bunch of unique insight on the NFL. So subscribe to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny or the Bill Barnwell Show. I would say and the Bill Barnwell Show. Subscribe to them both on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And funny that we have Mina Kimes in the intro here because it just so happens that my guest to talk about the Super Bowl in a moment is my good friend Mina Kimes. So without further ado, here's Mina. Talk about all things Super Bowl. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right. As promised, welcome to the Vita Vea fan <laughs> cast. I'm Bill Barnwell. Joining me to talk about our favorite 350-pound defensive lineman is my friend and yours, Mina Kimes. Mina, do any memories of Vita Vea before um, he took over the field in the Super Bowl on Sunday? Well, so I'm like a BS Washington Huskies fan. Yes, like I'm, yes. I'm ostensibly a Washington Huskies fan, but I've really struggled to pay attention to college football too closely during the NFL season. But, you know, I, I liked Vita Vea. I did not like the draft pick. I'm just going to mm-hmm. straight up take the L here. I thought they should have taken Derwin James. I thought it was rich for him. I was dead wrong <laughs> um, because like he has become one of the best defensive players in the NFL. And you saw in the NFC championship when he improbably came back from injury, it kind of came out of nowhere, his impact, but he was still, I don't think he was a hundred percent in this game, like especially on rewatch, he was a hundred percent and he, the only analogy I can come up with is he looked like an avalanche gathering snow as it rolls down the side of a mountain. He was unbelievable. <laughs> yes. So guys, we are going to be talking about the Super Bowl. I don't think we need to do a recap. Uh, you can probably get that somewhere <laughs> else. Um, it was a blowout. It was a surprising blowout. We're going to talk about the game, mm. talk about the stuff we saw as we rewatched it, um, broke it down a little bit further. Um yeah, I mean, this was, in terms of Vita Vea, like, it felt like a coming out party in terms of just how valuable he was and how versatile he was. I mean, this is a guy who was playing defensive end on snaps and working as an edge rusher, which you're not supposed to do that if you're 350 pounds. Like, you're supposed to be, like, a rectangle who stands in a gap and... <laughs> If you do that, you're very good at your job. No disrespect to people who do that. Like Danny Shelton is a guy who is very good at what he does. Oh, Alum, yeah. Yeah, that's why I brought him up. He cannot go on the edge and rush as an edge rusher for meaningful snaps in the Super Bowl. And yet, Vita Vea was doing that yesterday. The comparison 
I brought up in our Twitter DMs, which I'm very excited to introduce here on the show. <laughs> Vita Vea is the new Haloti Nata. This is awesome. I'm super in on all the Vita Vea backstory we're going to get. I hope Vita Vea played rugby like Haloti Nata did so we can be reminded of it every single time the Buccaneers are on TV. I mean, this guy is not a traditional star in so many ways, but an absolute difference maker for the Bucks last night. Yeah. Um, I feel like, how do I put this? They're both Tong- Tongan? Tongan? Is that the way? So in some ways, you, you someone's going to, it's the Amendola Edelman of cops, but it's also incredibly accurate, uh, even if they weren't both Tongan. Um, I hope I'm saying Tongan right. Uh, yeah, no, I, I gosh. Somebody, I, I was on a chain with our mutual friend, Robert Mays, mm-hmm. about Vea last night. And somebody asked, and in the Bucks drafting and their offseason and their picks over the last few years and additions, and somebody asked, well, then, you know, do you feel like defensive tackles are undervalued in the NFL relative to edge rushers? And I wrote, no, they're just not like this. Like Aaron Donald is not undervalued. Chris Jones is not. I mean, he's a very different player, but I'm just saying, like, Interior linemen are not supposed to do the things those human beings do. Physics mm. are defied by these feats. Um, but it, it is remarkable. And it is, I, I wouldn't say the Bucks don't win without Vea, like, because they actually, I thought the four man rush was pretty good without him, even when he was injured. Yes. And the run defense held up remarkably well. But it's certainly not, they're certainly not as dominant. Every time someone tweeted out, a clip of Patrick Mahomes running backwards for his dear life. And an idiot wrote back, why didn't he just step off? <laughs> you can identify Vitavea on the field. And that is the answer, friends. That is why. Um, but, you know, it's really all for rushers. And down, like the way they were deployed throughout the game, it was inventive. It was fun. It was really cool to rewatch. I'm not a defensive line expert, but... Um, it, it, it struck me as immensely creative on the part of Todd Bowles and mm-hmm. it, it will go down in the same way. I think as like the 13 to three Super Bowl on rewatch, you get to kind of marvel at some of the coaching decisions. I feel the same way already about this Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Okay. So true or false. If you were placed on the field for one snap <laughs> and asked to run a twist with any of the Buccaneers linemen, could you have at least pressured Patrick Mahomes once during this game? Um. I, okay. Do I get to stand on Vita Vea's shoulders in this scenario? <laughs> yes, you can have all of Vita Vea's okay. gear on you. So I you think he's that him. good. I think he could carry me and then th- throw me forward, use me like a like a weapon. Um, right. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't even if, if it was that front four. I mean, obviously they played great. Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul, Ndamukong Su, and uh, are, of course, Vita Vea of the Vita Vea fan cast. All phenomenal games. So what really struck me is that by the end of this game, the Bucks were calling dudes off the bench and they were making plays. Like Steve yeah. McClendon had a fourth down pressure. William Golston had a fourth down pressure. I want to say Anthony Bryant is the set, is the fourth defensive end for Tampa. I don't know. <laughs> nope, Anthony Bryant. Anthony Bryant is a guy who retired in 2011. So. <laughs> Close. Um, someone else for Tampa had a pressure in the game. I was like, you know, like, like a backup uh, you know, second or third string linemen. There were guys just coming off the bench and they mm. were beating Chiefs offensive linemen one-on-one. So as good as those guys were, you know, by, by the end it, of the game. It didn't matter at the end. Yeah. yeah, which was interesting because, well, first of all, McClendon's a great pool, uh, you know, following Todd Bowles 
from New York mm-hmm. to Tampa. And he actually is one of the guys who I thought played really well when Vea was out and yep. kind of surprised me. But um, it, God, where do you even begin with these linemen? And the, I, I think the hope for the Chiefs, when Jeff and I, Jeff Schwartz and I were talking about the game, we were like, well, we could see this playing out the same way it, it did last year, yep. where the pass rush terrorized them for three quarters and then they get tired. And then Mahomes is able to overcome that. But the problem is one, Tom Brady is better than Jake Garoppolo. And two, I think, you know, it was just so out of hand by the fourth quarter. It just didn't matter. And three, that offensive line was so bad that it's what makes this game kind of hard to analyze. Like I'm sure you and I will break down decisions that the Chiefs could have made differently, whatever. But at a certain point when your offensive line plays that bad, you could just throw out the entire playbook and there's not much you can do. Yeah. I mean, last time it was Fisher, Lord Dupé, Tardif, and Mitchell Schwartz all starting and playing meaningful roles. Those guys are good. Like those are actual good starting NFL offensive linemen. And oh boy, this game, I mean, Mike Remmers and Andrew Wiley at tackle, Nick Allegretti and Stefan Wisniewski at guard, Austin Reeder at center. Um, I, I mean, they're going to have to watch the, the tape at some point. Oh God. I, I actually feel bad for Mike Remmers who five Me years too. ago really struggled against Von Miller who won Super Bowl. MVP. <laughs> this was his like, you know, but oh, this was his God. opportunity to prove, you know, that he yeah. had grown and then <sighs> this happens. It's so unfair because he actually wasn't that bad this year. And I think that no, is what was people keep saying, well, you idiot analysts, you picked the Chiefs because even though you knew they had the backups, but the Chiefs played with backups all year, right? Like it wasn't like they, uh, this, you know, tsunami took out the offensive line right before the game. We had seen all season long them the the Chiefs game plan with a quick game and Patrick Mahomes overcome stuff and the offensive linemen look fairly competent. Um, but that fi- it, a combination of taking that final piece of Fisher out, reshuffling the line, and then going against the Bucks pass rush, it just changed. It made it impossible. And to me, like one of my big takeaways was, man, offensive linemen is so line play is so interdependent. You know, it's so mm-hmm. like you really can't just be shuffling dudes around because they looked absolutely befuddled. Absolutely I mean, yeah. befuddled. This was not a game where it was just straight up one-on-one rushes. Like it happened occasionally and it worked occasionally, but so much of this game was the Bucks twisting over and over and over again. And the Chiefs not being able to communicate, not being able to hold up and guys just getting free rushes on Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I, I, have, a, I have a lot of questions about this for you, but I'm going to ask you this one. Is there... Any scenario with any quarterback you can think of where they would have been able to piece together a competent performance um, better than what we saw from Mahomes last night, given what the line was doing, given how how frequently he yeah. was pressured? I would say um, maybe Josh Allen, but like... Well, actually, even- I wanted to ask you this. Do, do you think perhaps... Because um, I, I saw people saying, well, if the roles are reversed, you know, Brady would be dead. And in some level, I, I agree with that. There's no way they would have won. No, no quarterback would have won behind that offensive line. No. But I do wonder, like, if, if it had been a quarterback like Brady who gets it out in less than two point, even in this game, it was like 2.2 seconds, like you would have gotten more offense. Um, and you would have had coaches not so reliant on the magic making of the quarterback yes. and their ability, of the, which, which is, again, like, I get it. And look, Patrick Mahomes doing two of his receivers in the freaking head. Like, 
at a certain point, you like you certainly can't blame him, but you also you can kind of look at the coach and you're like, I get it. You let him do this. This is why he's special. But I I I, I almost think perhaps if you had a quarterback who like a Brady, and then you force the coaches to put together a different game plan, while they wouldn't have won, it would have been a little bit better suited for like the adver- the particular adversity of this scenario. Yeah, I mean, I can think of two games where Brady was getting pressured like this. They were both losses. One of them was the yeah. Chiefs game from Monday Night Football a few years ago where people were panicking about Brady being done, which, mm. by the way, looks embarrassingly bad now, like not, six not years great. later. Uh, multiple Super Bowl victories, including one that season. But that was a game where his offensive line was getting destroyed. Brady was stepping up in the pocket, doing the thing that Patrick Mahomes apparently does not know how to do uh, outside of maybe people on Twitter encouraging him to do that. But... Uh, you know, he was just getting destroyed and there was nothing happening. Um, and then I would say the Broncos playoff game from a few years ago where they got mm. Marcus Ware and Malik Jackson and Von Miller just ate them Such up. Such a great defense. Such a great defense. And I think really that's the game that this reminds me of more than anything else was like a game where heading into it, heading into Panthers Broncos in the Super Bowl, I kind of felt like the Panthers were going to win, thought it was going to be close. Um, mostly because I didn't think Peyton Manning could throw the football more than 10 yards downfield at that point, which might've been true, but mm. I was sort of sitting there all game thinking, okay, well you can't block DeMarcus Ware. You can't block Von Miller. So now you're going to institute all this, you know, smart stuff. You're going to be reading them. You're going to be outflanking them. You're going to be using motion to get past them. And I was kind of expecting that at some point in this game, but we saw a speed option early. We saw an end around from Tyree kill early. I know we've talked about this, before the show, but like I, I was really surprised we did not get more stuff with speed. If anything, just to try and tire out some of those defensive linemen, but to yeah. outflank them and to sort of put them in situations where they have to think about not just rushing forward or not playing TE games. So it's funny. In some ways, it felt like watching the Seahawks, not just yes, because it did. Mahomes was running for his life, haha, but also because it felt like they didn't have answers for too high. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's that? Mm, Pete Is that Ke- an agreement mm, or a- just imagining Pete Carroll yelling at the TV watching okay. this game? Well, Mina Kimes yelling at the TV saying, <laughs> didn't we learn this? Um, no, but, but and the reason why I think is it's not like the Chiefs weren't able to play too high zone or man during the regular season. Mm-hmm. They had an answer. It was Travis Kelsey and RPOs a lot of the year. Uh, but in this game, because the four, the front four was so dominant, Kelsey didn't have time to get open. Usually like you kind of find that soft spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was getting jammed a lot and no one else in that offense was getting open. But Tyree Kill didn't have a single one-on-one, right? So my feeling is the Chiefs said, okay, we have a counter for this, but it wasn't a fully fleshed counter. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't, that sounds weird. That's a phrasing problem. But it shouldn't just be Kelsey and RPOs. It needed to be the, the stuff you were describing, more horizontal um, action. And then I would say they should have probably run it a little more in this first half. They really went to that in the third half with success. But I think in the first half, now granted Mahomes, didn't have, they didn't have the football a lot in the first half. So mm-hmm. I think it, you don't want to overweight a few drives, but I do. it did feel like they went into that game thinking one thing would work and they didn't have like a multiplicity of options to counter mm-hmm. what should have been a fairly predictable game plan. Like I, every single person I trust yes. thought the books was going to do this on defense, right? Like we talked about it all week. Mm-hmm. They knew it. And still, still they didn't come up with creative stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, they had that little switch after halftime where yeah. they had Edwards Alaire lining up on the opposite side or lining up on the same side as the place he was going to run on those draws. And they get two really successful draws um, in the third quarter. But like when we're talking about draws for the Chiefs offense as like, oh, that was the great thing they did. This was their big solution. It probably tells you how limited their solutions were on offense throughout this game. I mean, especially when they got in key situations, like they were so bad on third down and so bad in the red zone. And I went back and watched every one of those plays before I was writing last night. And like every single time it was just whatever they drew up didn't matter. Whatever they had ready on those plays just was not going to work because there was no way Patrick Holmes could even look at what was happening. I mean, it was basically like, from zero, from like a half second after getting the ball to three seconds was just sheer panic and running away from three pass rushers. And then after three seconds, it was okay. Well, now I can maybe I've run away from two free guys. Like, let me see what I can do about this situation. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you though. I think that running the ball in the first half would have made more sense. Like you said, they didn't get the ball a ton. Mahomes scrambling, I felt like was a successful thing well, for them. I want, so they, they talked about his injury. We didn't get a lot of color on this, but in the second half, uh, Romo and Ants talked about him limping a bit, and I wonder if at some point during the game he got a little bit banged up or the turf toe kicked in in a way that he made him stop scrambling. Because I was wondering, because he had so much success with that early on, and that's a natural against um, two men in particular. It's a great answer for him and a counter to some of the aggression of that Bucks pass rush, but he just kind of stopped. Can I ask you a Romo question, by the way? <laughs> sure. Uh have you ever wanted anything more in your entire life than Tony Romo wanted this to be a competitive game in the third quarter? He was so quarter? sad. He was I didn't trying, like it. He was just like, oh, if this thing happens and this thing happens and this thing happens, then maybe it'll be a one-score game. Yeah, maybe. I know people were um, giving me shit for being wrong. I'm like, I don't care about being wrong. I don't want to talk about, li- like, this is a, not an exciting football game upon, like, the, the first watch. Um, I think, you know... When I watched the second time, I found kind of some more things that I thought were interesting, especially from the Bucks' perspective. But um, yeah, I think game planning wise, like that third quarter is really fascinating because the game wasn't totally out of hand by Mahomes standards and they were running it really successfully. I think they had the big uh, Clyde Edwards Alaire run off the RPO at the very beginning of the half, mm-hmm. right? Um, where he gave, because the Bucks were playing the pass so heavily yes and then there was like a second down where it was a screen to hardman and he just kind of slipped and it wasn't well blocked anyways and and then what yet again mahomes is in third and seven and it's like he's not he has no chance if he's in third and mm. long no chance and he just was in third and long the entire football game yeah i mean they never had a solution for that and their solution you know typically is mahomes will figure something out and yeah that just did not happen. Um, also speaking of talking about things people say on television, are we going to pretend like for the entirety of the preseason and week one, we were all talking about what a great pick Clyde edwards Hilaire was for the Chiefs and how he was kind of irrelevant in this game where, boy, could they have used another pass rusher or another cornerback or another offensive lineman. Like, I think he's going to be just fine in the long run, but he had made zero impact on the 2020 Chiefs. I, yes, which, you know, some of that is usage, but again, it's not like... He had one pretty sick jump cut in that second half drive, but for the most part, you know, Williams was able to give them the production 
they needed towards the end of the year. I mean, you, you make a really good point about the rush. I feel like we've spent and our Aaron Schatz tweeted about this a little bit. We spent so much time talking about the chiefs offensive line and game planning that like the chiefs defense has kind of gotten away with a really dog game. <laughs> like, um, I mean, so I was like, should I say, do we do cussing here? Um, I mean, Frank Clark was told everyone outside of Chris Jones was an utter non-factor granted, but Brady was getting at the ball crazy quick, mm-hmm. but um, they were, they couldn't tackle. And, and that was, again, like Bulls had a really good game plan and Byron left, which came into this game fully aware that, that the way to exploit what the chief's defense was good at um, blitzing and defending the deep ball was to not throw to your wide receivers and get the ball out quickly. And it was again, like very predictable, but this one I'm almost blamed spags less because I think that was less about game plan. and just more about talent. Like the chiefs linebackers are not good. Uh, Daniel Sorensen is a guy who everyone knew they would potentially exploit. And both of those things just came true. Mm-hmm. I really liked what uh, Byron Leftwich and Bruce Arians did in this game in terms of Me too. getting a sixth offensive lineman onto the field, getting those run mismatches, and then having the opportunity to hit play action off of that. Um, Brady's numbers on play action were incredible. But in terms of conflict, mm-hmm. has anybody ever had a more conflicted night than Joe Haig. <laughs> when all your dream Joe Haig. Through, you have a great game. He was really good as that sixth line for the game, but he drops a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. I know. Every offensive lineman I know was screaming, no, they'll never let us do this again when that happened. Just mm. no, our watch shots, the makers, makers. But it sucks because he was really good. It was a great play call. Um, it was, they, they had so many great, but they, they had so many play calls that were reminiscent of either the Chiefs or the Patriots in mm-hmm. this game. Um, the touchdown to Gronk off the slide route. The, yeah. I mean, there were a lot, half of the stuff they did with Gronk was just ripped straight from New England. Um, they should, though. That makes yes, sense. I don't know why they didn't do it all season, Bill. But you know, one thing about the play action, I mentioned this on our show today, but um, well, there's, there's a few things. The fact that they decided to, use play action 43% of the time after half that most of the season was remarkable, but also um, the depth of target. So through until this, the Super Bowl, uh, Brady's play action attempts had an average depth of target of 11.2 yards, which was first in the NFL Mm -hmm. Uh, in the Super Bowl that went down to 8.8. I mean, overall, generally the average depth of target in this game for Tampa went, was cut in half basically from the regular season, mm-hmm. it would have been, you know, Brady would have been second in the NFL during the regular season. This is on all attempts. He would have been last. It was 5.9. You and I were texting about this, which again, I think just speaks to the intelligence of the game plan to counter the blitzing, get the ball out, play action, screens, tight ends. And yeah, I mean, it was just really, really, really well done. Were we all idiots to, ju- let me not all idiots, but <laughs> like, 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 were we sleeping on Gronk? You know, this is a guy who, I mean, even in the Super Bowl, even in his final game with the Patriots, made an impact uh, on their only touchdown drive. It was the guy they went to for that one big play to set up their lone touchdown against the Rams. He retires. He becomes a wrestler briefly. He starts selling CBD. He comes back for like the month of September. Bruce Arian says he's a blocker. He doesn't get thrown the football. Like we're making fun of him for being slow. Uh, 
And then here he is in the Super Bowl. He's an incredible blocker and he catches two touchdown passes. Like, why? Why? I'm not going to let this happen again. Like, I, I feel like the NFL should have known to draft TJ Watt in the top 10 just because JJ Watt was so good. Like, there's no way he should have lasted all the way to the Steelers. Mm. The NFL should have known. There's another Watt who's like not that good. Derek Watt's right. a fullback, though. That's different. <laughs> like, if it's, if it's like, if, if another Watt comes out and he's a kicker, don't draft him. But if he's an edge rusher, yeah, take him. Um, <laughs> But like with Gronk, like I'm just not gonna let this happen again. Like I'm gonna yeah. assume that in a big game, Tom Brady is going to rely on Rob Gronkowski um, until they are long retired. It was like Tom, uh, Brian Leftwich and Bruce Arians did one long play action to us over the course of an entire season. Yes, and then you know it was like the ultimate long con. Like we talked about the Chiefs flipping the switch for the playoffs. The Bucks waited for the Super Bowl, and they're like, all right play action to me like it was crazy um I, I and yeah i i look it, i love the idea of sort of load management for grunk like but i it just seems like they took the entire season not just to figure out the usage of gronk who of course comes up in big games when brady trusts him but also like he wasn't he was was not running as many routes during most of the season. I mean, it's just the Bucks. Yes, there was no offseason. Yes, Tom Brady with a new team. But there were so many parts of this offense that didn't really click until the end of the season. Freaking Leonard Fournette, like, mm-hmm. was bad. He was bad in the regular season. In this game, he had, I think he was like the first, I saw somewhere running back ever to have more than 40 yards before and after the catch in a Super Bowl. I have something like that or not before contact. Um, yes. Since Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> um, so <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think the whole team really, and this is something we did kind of predict in some ways, like that the saints would look better early and the bucks would look better late. Mm-hmm. They really figured it out by the end of the season. I feel like that's just, there's no other way to put it than that they figured it out. And that's what makes them so scary next year, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about playoff Lenny? I know that there's the tie-in. I'm expecting there to be a commercial at some point during the 2021 football season with Leonard Fournette and Lenny, your dog, and the co-host of the Media Camp Show featuring Lenny. But do you buy that this is a different player than the guy we saw earlier this year? Like, do you think he's going to attract significant interest in free agency. Like, like where do you stand on Leonard Fournette now after this postseason run? Um, well, I did see a playoff Lenny hat that I thought about buying, but it's $38, which seems aggressive. You can, <laughs> but, uh, shouldn't you be able to get that comp at this point? I, you know, I haven't gotten that, but the playoff Lenny follow back. Um, Ooh. I'm thrilled for him, man. I, 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 I think it's just, it, it, it's, it's a great redemption story for him after what was some pretty weird, dumb stuff in Jacksonville mm. all along. And I also think the Bucks, like you, you talked a little bit at the beginning about Clyde Edwards, Zilaire and him not playing a factor in this game, but mm. because of the matchup again, like Super Bowls are about matchups. We knew that the Bucks being able to run the ball effectively and throw to their pass catcher, which was, you know, Fournette in this case, he mm-hmm. caught 47 yards or something. Yeah. Um, that was going to be really important against a Kansas City defense that could not stop either of those things. 
So it was like all the stars aligning for him. Um, now, I would not give him a big contract, of course, if I was a, if a team like in a signed for ages. But, but for this Super Bowl, he like, there was a role that he, they needed someone like him to play and he played it to perfection. Um, so you mentioned Leonard Fournette leaving the Jaguars to win a Super Bowl at the Bucks. Great, mm. great story. Steve McClendon, same thing, gets traded from the Jets to replace Vey when he was out with a broken ankle. He goes from being on maybe the most embarrassing team in football to winning a Super Bowl. Did you realize who was on the flip side of this coin for the Buccaneers? Going to the Jaguars? Not going to the Jaguars, but leaving the Buccaneers late in the season. Josh Rosen. Poor Josh Rosen. Meanwhile, Blaine Gabbert, Super Bowl champion. Blaine Gabbert, Super Bowl champion, University of Missouri, tweeting out about how he's a champion. Real G's move in silence. That's smart. That's smart. You know what? Dabba dabba do. Blaine ended up in the right place. Um, I feel really bad for Josh Rosen, who left to join the Niners in the hopes of getting some playing time, uh, did not get playing time, and also did not get a Super Bowl ring. It just feels like every decision he makes somehow turns out poorly. Is it, like, cool to have a Super Bowl ring if you're a backup quarterback? Because everyone knows you didn't do shit. <laughs> is it is it cooler to be a backup quarterback and not get a Super Bowl ring? I mean, at least you're in a place where maybe there's opportunity. I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I'm hoping Josh Rosen's career turns around eventually. 25 years from now. Trying to be positive. I, I think there's probably a good chance that the best thing he has to show from a very frustrating NFL career would have been a Super Bowl ring. I mean, yeah. I feel like you could at least say, hey, like I helped Tom Brady prepare for the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, 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 I was the scout team of homes. I, w- I was the scout team of homes or something. I don't know. I want to know who was scout team of homes. That's a good G- Guessing it wasn't Blaine Gabbert. I play Gabbert's a pretty good athlete. I feel like it doesn't matter. Like, honestly, given what happened for the Chiefs, like you could have had me there. Right. And like it would scout, been- scout team of homes. Yeah. Should just been someone running in the opposite direction the entire game. Um, two questions about the former Patriots from you, and then we'll finish up. Number one, and I'm stealing this from Sarah Barshop, our Texans reporter on Twitter, brought up a very, very good point. I love a good what if. How oh different is the world? If the Lions trade for Rob Gronkowski successfully in 2018. So that would have been a first and a second round pick from the Lions for Gronk and a second rounder. So swap twos. The Patriots get the 20th pick. Next wide receiver is off the board for the Patriots. That time would have been DJ Moore and Calvin Ridley. So the Patriots get a receiver. Rob Gronkowski goes to the Lions. Um, in real life said he would have retired. So that sort of nicks that trait. But if he goes to the Lions, he's there with Matt Patricia. Um, the Matt Patricia era, I don't think changes all that differently, but Rob Gronkowski doesn't go, uh, doesn't retire as a member of the Patriots. So never ends up in Tampa Bay. Well, maybe he does. I think it's hard to say, but um, it feels like a lot of things shift a little bit in very interesting ways. If Gronk accepts that trade. Yeah. I think the most like, interesting byproduct of that would be if the Patriots had Calvin Ridley, would Brady have been more likely to stay there? Right. Like, which I think is true. I don't think it changes the Patriots fate necessarily. I'm certainly not this season with this defense. I don't care if you have Calvin Ridley, that's still not a Super Bowl team. If you have, you have Ridley Brady or whatever. Um, But it does make it, I think more likely, like by all accounts, Tom Brady 
was very frustrated with the pass catchers as he should be. (laughs) And um, I think that the composition of that team looks so different. And that like Ridley's, I really, I think he's really good. So I think you might see that would be a possible shift. Joe Haig might've been a starting caliber receiver (laughs) for the Patriots this year, given the opportunity. It was pretty bad there uh, for poor Cam Newton. Um, The other question, and this is the annoying one, but I have to ask it. Oh God. Tom Brady, too much credit for last (laughs) night? Not enough credit for last night? Where where do you stand in terms of the impact Tom Brady had on the Bill, I think not enough. We should be talking about how he single-handedly won that game. He should not just win MVP. He should be president of the United States. Okay, who would who would you have given MVP to? Shaq Barrett. I, I, I was I was trolling people with Vita Vea because I do think Vita Vea was like maybe or you could argue he had the best individual performance, but like based on um, you know, pressures and just how much he affected the quarterback, I'd go with Shaq Barrett. How about you? I was gonna say Barrett too. Ah. I I I think you could say anybody on the defensive line. I think you could say JPP. I think you could say Sue. I think you could say Devin White, who honestly, in terms of performance in game one to performance in game two nobody did better in, in yeah. terms of their like Devin White was a not disaster is the wrong word in the first game but like a target oh. the the classic Steven Ruiz uh um microscope meme uh was on Devin White in the first game he was beat over and over and over again and targeted yeah. by Andy Reid over and over and over again and this game he was good like he wasn't the best player on the field but he was a he was very effective as a man as a man match or man cover guy on Kelsey. Didn't, you know, he tackled well, didn't miss a lot of tackles. Um, they weren't able to manipulate him with RPOs. Um, he mm-hmm. was much better. I how about David against Kelsey though? Whew. And yeah. I mean the you, the Kelsey stats are really inflated by the fourth quarter. So um, but I like I think I was really, that to me was going to be, again, why I thought, okay, well, even if they played two man and they get a ton of pressure, Kelsey will be his outlet. And he was a big part, like his ability to limit yards after the catch was tremendous. Mm-hmm. Would you say Gronk? Um, that's a good one. I Yeah, I'd say like in terms of like a single offensive player having the biggest impact on the game. I would say Gronk from the offense for sure. We've named seven players. We would have picked four Brady. <laughs> well, no, no, I just want to like look. Okay, people are always talking about QB wins. Mm-hmm. One player, one notable player, did not play in Week Twelve and played in the Super Bowl. His name is Vita Vea. Yes, and they lost in Week Twelve. So, defensive tackle wins <laughs> should be a thing. Uh, if you you can have Barrett, I'm riding with Vea. Brady was good. People were getting mad. Like he was good. I mean, like, look, anytime you can get the ball out in 2.2 seconds mm-hmm. accurately, um, like after that first drive, when they, when Spags did, he went cover zero, sent a zero blitz on like the third down, I think, mm-hmm. right. Of the very first drive after that, like he had his number. I mean, he was, he read the field perfectly, placed the ball well through a couple of lasers, but you know, he didn't have to do that much. No, he did not have to do that much. Now, <laughs> Do you ever want to see Tom Brady in a Super Bowl again? Um, I actually said, predicted a rematch, which, is, you know, it's not like rematches are really hard to happen. But at this point, looking at these teams um, and given the fact that the Bucks didn't f- play their best football until the end of se- the season, and I, I would say didn't coach their best football until the end of the season. I think it's totally plausible 
that they come back. Do I want to see it? I mean, I like change, you know, like I like it's fun to have different teams in the Super Bowl. I I mean, I I think both these teams are going to be among the best teams in football next year. I don't think there's going to be mm-hmm. a hangover for either team. The Chiefs might take a step yeah. backwards just because they were so lucky in one-score games. Um, but they're still going to be like a 12-4 and or 13-3 football team. And the Bucs, I mean, they have a lot of free agents. There's a lot of guys who mm-hmm. might not be back on this team. It's uh, Chris Godwin, Fournette. Uh, Dynamic Sue, uh, no, JPP is still there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's Jack, not a free agent. Zach Barrett, Levante David. I mean, there's a lot of guys who they're going to have serious thoughts about possibly, um, you know, bringing back. They have some cap space. They're also a weird team with how they run the cap. Like, they typically don't give big signing bonuses to make it easy mm-hmm. to cut guys. I wonder if they change that because they, you know, they're all in to win with Brady again one more time, probably next year. Um, I, who do you think if there's like, if there's one guy from this bunch from the box who you figure is not going to come back, who is it? Ooh, um, I would pick Chris Godwin just because they're rich. I would too. At, yeah. They're rich at that position. Uh, and it was just funny too, going into the season, I was like, Godwin and Brady, they're going to be amazing together. And at various points they were, but I think, he, and Again, this this Super Bowl is really about matchups, and nobody should have been surprised by the tight ends playing a big role. But mm-hmm. um, to me, losing either Barrett or David would make it a lot harder for this team to get back. And given, I think Godwin, all of those three players, but you know Barrett and Godwin in particular, well, they can all command pretty hefty salaries. Mm-hmm. Barrett's going to be a f ton of money, um, and I just think. Godwin's going to be a little too rich for them. Yeah. I mean, I think Antonio Brown and Gronk are both free agents, but I think they're going to basically, if they want to come back, take below market deals to play with Brady. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't look like they want to play elsewhere. And I mean, I, I hate to say it because it's so cliche, but I think there's a really good chance that the slot receiver for this team in 2021 is Julian oh, yeah. Edelman. Who's How dare get- you? He's going to get cut by the page. Like, 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 but isn't he redundant? Cause Scotty Miller's already there and they're the same person. I heard that on a broadcast. Exactly. It's like a uh, Haloti and uh, you know, <laughs> they, um, I'm not going to ask you which broadcast that was. Uh, we don't want to disparage. I actually don't remember <laughs> fine television broadcasting companies, but I will say that I think it feels like there's a really good chance that the Buccaneers import both Julian Edelman and James White from the Patriots this offseason. They'll play the mm. two roles Woo. that you figure Tom Brady's going to want. He didn't have a receiving back all year. Fournette kind of played that role by default, but that's not really what he does best. And if they lose Godwin, they have a hole in the slot. Um, Antonio Brown will get more reps, but you'd figure as a third wide receiver or a fourth wide receiver to teach Scotty Miller the ways of being <laughs> uh, a much a much slower white guy, you figure <laughs> I like- this opportunity. I like your use of the word import because now I'm imagining Edelman and James White getting on a literal pirate ship and <laughs> taking it all the way down the Atlantic coastline to Tampa. Um, but yeah, they definitely need, I, I, I would say, uh, a pass catching running back, which is kind of weird retrospect that they didn't go in on one, you know, or because that, that's not that expensive. You can find guys around the, the league, but um, the, that would seem to me to be areas they would target for sure. Wait, did Shady get two consecutive Super Bowl rings for games where he didn't play? <laughs> think so <laughs> yeah but you know like josh rosen he's now he gets to say he's a or what josh rosen could, could have been rather he gets to say he was a champion 
That's very true. Um, so you think we're going to get a rematch, Bucks Chiefs? That's my pick right now because I mean, okay, so the Chiefs, yes, the Bucks. <laughs> I assume you don't. I mean, I guess Bills, Ravens, Browns are in the mix on the AFC. Um, it's Mahomes is the, like he, he will get to play behind a functioning offensive line. In the NFC, I think, you know, there's still a lot of cards left. Cards don't get played out. Chips to be dealt. I don't know. In any case, the chips are on the table. The cards are being mushed around. The game yes. pieces are in a mess. Um, I didn't even say mess. I said must. That's how scrambled my brain is. But, you know, we're looking at the Rams, the Packers, the Bucks. I'll say the Seahawks. I'm <laughs> Homer. Um I think those would be my main ones. Again, like let's see what happens with Dak and all in some other teams. I think of those teams right now, it's very close. And we'll see what the Niners do at quarterback too. But like I think the Bucks have more young pieces on defense than the Rams. Like I think the Bucks defense is less likely to regress than mm-hmm. Los Angeles. Um, and I think their offense, like I said, the fact that also, by the way, they retain both their coaches. Yes. That's crazy. And who both of whom absolutely crushed it, crushed yes. it in the Super Bowl. So that continuity is, is just tremendously important. Do you want zero, one or two Seahawks questions to finish up? One. Okay. I'm not going to ask you the, the, the trolling one. I'll ask you Thank a real you. one. How much pride did you take in listening to Darius Slay talk about DK Metcalf today? Oh, that's a nice one. Okay. Um, I, 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 my, I mostly came away convinced that Darius Slay is a superstar and like a comedic genius. It, it I was mean, incredible. In, in the delivery of that story. So for those who haven't seen it, you can, I think I tweeted it, but Darius Slay, recounted the time he faced off against DK Metcalf and just got, you know, crushed by him and just how DK was trying to like start shit. And he was like, man, I'm just too old. For <laughs> like, what are you doing? But also how DK is like enormous and an action figure, I think is what he called that, him. And, that and has to be his nickname like, now, right? The action figure. Yes. I mean, I, yeah, like God, that's gotta be so dispiriting to be lined up across from DK Metcalf, regardless of whether you're winning, losing what's happening in the game that like, it just such a gigantic person at mm-hmm. that position. And then to have him be like, I just be like, Oh, I just don't want to do it's, you know, it's like when people try to start shit with you and you're like, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to eat my salad. Like yes. I, that was my big takeaway from how Darius came away from that. That's like, that's not an emotion we hear from NFL players on a regular <laughs> basis, though. Like, what are you doing? Just let me live. Like, like I get it. You're, I love you're, it. So you're, big, you're big and scary. And to be clear, I am actually scared of you. But also, let's just take it easy. Like, let's just it's hang out. definitely the most I've ever related to, except for every time Justin Herbert talks, because he has such strong beta energy. And I'm like, yes, you are me and I am you, Justin <laughs> Herbert. That's how I felt watching Darius Slay. I was like, yeah, yeah. I could be an NFL player. Well, if you want to listen to more takes from an NFL player, I would highly recommend you do what we told you on the beginning of the show, which was listen to mm-hmm. the time show featuring Lenny. But where else, Kamina, can people check out your thoughts on all things football? I thought you were going to say, if you want more beta energy, you can listen to the Muni Time Show featuring Lenny. Um, I would never say Lenny was a beta. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's playoff Lenny to you. Um, mm-hmm. 
I'm on NFL Live. We're continuing through the offseason. DVR it Monday, Tuesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Uh, and then otherwise you catch me at Around the Horn and Highly Questionable. All right. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. All right, guys. As always, one of the best minute times. Really happy we had her on the show today to talk about the Super Bowl. But our season is done. The 2020 NFL season is over. And I believe by the time that I finish this outro, Carson Wentz will probably be traded. We'll have a lot more to talk about. But we will be coming back with you, talk more about football as the offseason goes on. Only about seven months till more actual football. But until then, every week we're talking more about the NFL, the trades, the free agent signings, the draft, all that good stuff. We're going to be breaking down every single week, as always, here on the Bill Barnwell Show. So thanks so much for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed this during a very strange 2020 season and more audio coming next week.